So let's have God's word open us up to Matthew 22, and we'll begin in verse 23. And when you're there, I ask that you rise for the reading of God's word. Matthew 22, beginning on verse 23. Now this is the word of the Lord. The same day, Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and the third down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead... Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Jumping now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I, ha- but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if, you, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly trouble, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealing with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried are betrothed women, excuse me, And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and join us as we sing and pray. Amen. Uh, Would you join me in prayer once more? God, would you speak to us? 
Uh, would you teach us obedience, humility? Uh, would you test our thoughts, our minds, our hearts? Uh, God, we confess, Lord, that we come in many ways, Lord, as sinners unprepared. But Father, as a good Father, you give us your word. And so, would you feed our souls this morning with truth, with life? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, for the past five weeks, we've been exploring what it means when we say we want to see the kingdom of God come into our homes, our homes, the most intimate place, yet at the same time, the most heart-rendering and sometimes most difficult place. So far in this series, we've looked at our role and our responsibility as children. We saw our role and our responsibility as parents, as siblings, and as spouses. Now today, as we conclude on this teaching series on the family, I want to address the subject of singlehood. Now, there are a few reasons for this. Some of you might be thinking, well, this is a bit of a tangent, but it's actually not. It's important that we address the subject of singlehood. And there are a few reasons. The first reason is this. Um, in America right now, there are now more adult singles than married adults. Okay, this historic change took place about 10 years ago. And I think for the first time in a long time, or if not in, in the history of America, there are now more single adults than married adults. In fact, according to the most recent Pew study, about 50% of the adults between the ages of 25 and 54, which is the, the optimum range to get married, 24 to, 25 to 54, 50% of adults in this age bracket are currently unmarried. Now, I think this drastically changes how we ought to view singles. Singles are no longer the minority. The second reason why I think this is important is this. Um, even though some of you might not be single, right? Even though some of you might be married, there is a very high probability that one day either you or your spouse, okay, there's a very high probability that one day either you or your spouse will be single again, right? Not only is there the potential for couples to separate by divorce, but there's also inevitable separation by death. Couples don't die together most of the time. If you're married, chances are you or your spouse will pass away first and you will be single again. The third reason why I think we have to address the subject of singlehood is because I think this subject is deeply misunderstood both in the church and in the world today. And so today, what I want to do is I want to go through this topic, this, um, I think, sensitive and important pressing topic of singlehood, and I want to present a biblical view of it. Now today, I have to confess, I don't have a pithy outline, uh, something that's easy to memorize, sub, you know, an outline with mnemonics. Um, I thought, you know what? Let me just give you three passages, and we'll just go through three passages. We read two of them, um, 
But in addition to the two passages we read, I also want to look at Matthew 19, verses 1 to 12. And these three passages, and if you remember nothing about today's sermon, at least you'll have these passages to go back to. So the first passage, Matthew 19, 1 to 12. The second passage, 1 Corinthians 7, which, which is what we read. And finally, Matthew 22, 23 to 33. So first, let me begin with Matthew 19. Matthew 19, uh, verses 1 to 12, there's a story, and it begins in this way. Pharisees come up to Jesus trying to entrap him, trying to test him. And they ask Jesus, hey, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They were testing Jesus to see what he would say, and this is how Jesus responds. He says this, what God has joined together, let men not separate. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, Jesus' standard for marriage is so high that here is how the disciples respond. They say, it's better not to get married then. <laughs> you know, usually when we talk about marriage in the church, I mean, marriage is often romanticized, overly romanticized, and presented in a way that draws people towards it Oddly, when Jesus talks about marriage here in Matthew 19, he draws people further away from it. When they hear about Jesus talking, when they hear Jesus talking about marriage, they say, I don't want to get married. If that's what marriage is, I don't want it. You know, I don't think I ever gave a talk on marriage where the response was, oh, you know what? It's better not to get married. See, when the disciples heard that marriage was truly till death do us part, when they heard that, according to Jesus, marriage was no longer a status symbol or a way to achieve stability or upward mobility, when they heard that marriage wasn't just about satisfying one's sexual appetite, the disciples respond, you know what? It's probably better to remain single. And Jesus agrees. Here's, how, here's what he says. He says, not everyone can agree not everyone can receive this, but only those to whom it is given. And he says this, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 you should still get married. Come on, get married. No, instead, he uses eunuchs as a way to express singlehood, and he says this, Choosing singlehood for the sake of the kingdom is noble, it's worthy, and it's actually a legitimate option for life. Church, I think there is, uh, in many ways, a misconception out there, especially inside the church, especially inside more um, conservative or traditional communities there is this misconception out there that views singlehood solely as the absence of something. You know, singleness is often wrongly defined by what it's lacking. What is singleness? Well, it's the lack of a spouse. It's the lack of sexual intimacy. It's the absence of stability. And sometimes more demeaning, singleness is the lack of real responsibility, the lack of real commitment. You know, we 
have, society has wrong, have, have wrongly defined singleness just through a bunch of deficiencies, as if being single means you're less than an adult, as if being single means you're less than human. I remember when I was single, everyone around me gave me, that, gave me the advice, get married, get married early. You know why? Because they said, if I wasn't married, no one would take me seriously. If you're unmarried as a pastor, you're unrelatable. You know, even among Christian denominations, there are written rules and unwritten rules that pastors should be married in order to be ordained. For me, being single meant that I couldn't fulfill my calling. I couldn't do my job if I was single. You might have experienced this in some form or fashion, if you're single or when you were single. If you're single, you get relegated to the children's table at family gatherings. Or people look at you as though you're non-committal or irresponsible. But that is not how Jesus saw singlehood. Remember, Jesus himself was single. Think about Jesus, his community. He was a single male in his early to mid-30s, and a lot of his disciples, who were all younger than him, were married. So Jesus was hanging around with younger guys who were married, who had families, but Jesus, as a single man, was their leader. See, Jesus' life isn't described by what's missing. It isn't defined by what he doesn't have. Instead, Jesus is described by what he's filled with, filled with life, filled with love, filled with a sense of purpose and calling. See, Jesus doesn't view singlehood as some do, as this weird layover period where you're just waiting to transition. You know, if you are single... You know, one question that Jesus will never ask you is the question that you get asked by your family members and friends all the time. Why aren't you married? When are you getting married? Are you going to get married? See, Jesus doesn't see marriage as a prerequisite for adulthood, for intimacy with him, for spiritual maturity, for emotional maturity. Jesus doesn't view marriage as this thing that we all need to do. You know, and frankly, if I can be, you know, if, if I can be honest, you know, I think we have in many ways perpetuated this false narrative. That being single means you're less than. But that's not the way Jesus sees it. So if I can sum up Matthew 19, this is what Jesus is saying. Marriage is really difficult, right? Marriage is a really, really difficult thing. And singlehood is a noble and legitimate alternative to marriage, especially if it's singlehood for the kingdom of God. That's what Matthew 19 is saying. The second passage, second, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 to 35. Paul is actually in this passage in 1 Corinthians 7. He's expounding on, I think, what Jesus taught in Matthew 19. And he says this, verse uh, 28 and following, he says this, Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. 
See, in this passage, Paul is recommending singlehood. He's saying, I want to spare you from worldly troubles. In verse 32, he says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Why does Paul recommend singlehood? Well, because if you're single, Paul says, your devotion and attention is not divided. You can give yourself freely and wholly to God and to matters of the kingdom. In a sense, Paul is saying, if you're single, that means you can be married to Christ and His work. This is entirely different from the reasons why people today think singlehood is good. Why do people today think singlehood is good? Well, you know, in 2019, a few years back, um, Time Magazine published a piece based on a 2008 study, a scientific study on the benefits of singlehood. And here's what they listed out. Here's, here's what um, this study found. Here are the benefits of singlehood, and I've just listed a few. It says this, if you're single, your mind is uncluttered. If you're single, you have time to get in touch with yourself. I don't really know what that means, but you have time to get in touch with yourself. If you're single, there's a chance to become financially responsible. It's better than being married. It's better to be single because you can make self-care a priority, you can learn to enjoy your own company, and your confidence level can skyrocket. These are the exact words. You know, Honestly, I mean, reading this article, I couldn't get away with how shallow and meaningless these benefits are. I think some of these things are outright contrary. I don't know. I I remember when I was single, your confidence level can skyrocket. I don't know. Being single, you can be more fiscally responsible. I don't know. You can make self-care a priority. I don't know. And, you know, this is a real scientific study from a peer-reviewed journal, the European Journal of Social Psychology. This is what they say. These are the benefits of being single. You know, but 1 Corinthians 7, according to the Bible, there's one real benefit to being single, one main benefit, and that's undivided attention and devotion to God. Meaning, this is the main reason why one should pursue singlehood. You know, there's a character uh, in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, by the name of Anna. And Anna is this woman who, uh, she got married, and her husband, seven years later, died. So she was probably in her uh, mid to late 20s, and her husband had passed away. Now, Anna could have gotten married again because the law had permitted, but consciously, Anna made a decision to commit herself wholly to prayer, to fasting, to worship, to commit herself wholly to waiting for Israel's Messiah. And so, Anna decided, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of my life praying, worshiping, 
And so for about 65 years, Anna stayed at the temple, and she worshipped it night and day, night and day with fasting and prayer. You know, I think this is an amazing, amazing story. Anna saw prayer not as an accessory, right? Not as like an addition that, you know, to one's life, but she saw it as the main thing. And Anna, as she did that for 65 years, she was one of the first people to lay her eyes on Jesus. You know, if Anna had gotten married, she could have prayed, she could have worshipped, she could have fasted, right? These things are not exclusive to single people, but not to that extent. Not with that specific calling of a watchman, waiting and praying, waiting and praying, seeking the Lord's face day and night, day and night. This is something that singles can do. You know, one thing I find really encouraging is the Bible is not impractical or unrealistic when it comes to marriage and singlehood. God understands that when one gets married, one's commitment is going to be divided. Imagine if Anna remarried and she spent all day and night at the temple fasting and praying. If she had a husband at home and kids at home, and she would spend all day at the temple just praying and fasting, praying and fasting, I mean, she would be an amazing prayer warrior, but a very irresponsible wife and mother. You know, I remember in college, and, and I hate to sort of draw contrasts on what other preachers say, but I remember in college, I went to a, a retreat, and the guest speaker spent a good 30 minutes just hammering into to young singles. When you get married, your devotion to the Lord cannot decrease. You have to give even more and, you know, be more present and, you know, you have to do more and more and more and more. And I thought to myself, I don't know if that's what 1 Corinthians 7 teaches. See, the Bible isn't impractical or unrealistic when it comes to our human relationships and responsibilities, our commitments. The Bible understands if you are married, then yes, your commitment is going to be divided. Yes, it is to the Lord, but it's also to your spouse and to your family. But if you're single, you can give yourself wholly to the Lord. It's a lot like traveling. Those of you who travel for business or Solo, you know how great it is going from point A to point B. Your attention and your focus is singular, right? All you have to do is get yourself from point A to point B. Packing is different. Traveling is different. Getting to the airport is different. Arriving is different. You know, my, my wife is here, but I love traveling by myself. Why? Because I can get to the airport exactly when I want to. I don't have to make bathroom breaks. I don't have to, you know, stop off to get snacks. I can do whatever I want, just go from point A to point B. Singular focus. But compare that to traveling with other people, with a spouse, with kids, young kids. (laughs) There are so many distractions. So many other things to do. And that is the point that, Jesus, that Paul is making here in Scripture. That if you are single, your attention and devotion is singular. And you can give yourself wholly to the Lord's cause. You know, even something simple as coming to church. You know, um, my wife, she's been serving on praise team. 
for the past few months. And it's great that, you know, she can serve, but on the days that she serves, the weekends she serves, I have to be the pastor's wife. <laughs> you know, we've been married 12 years, and there are less than a dozen times where I've actually helped her in the morning on a Sunday to come to church. And by saying less than a dozen, I'm being extremely gracious, probably less than five. <laughs> Today, this morning, I got up, you know, trying to get the kids ready, getting them come to church. You know, I'm trying to get in the zone, try to get prepared. And then, you know, these kids, they don't listen. And I'm just like, you know, just coming to church itself is an extremely, it's a big burden. And I'm trying not to lose it. You know, and, and I have boys, which are so, hand, you know, they, they don't ask me to do their hair or pick out their clothes or iron things. You know, if you're single, the point is, you have so much more freedom and liberty, not for yourself, but to serve the Lord. There are less distractions, less pitfalls, less delays, less unexpected inconveniences. You know, Anna, a woman who spent 65 years of her life praying and fasting, praying and fasting, this is what it says in Luke 2, 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. This is when she sees Jesus. And she speaks of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. See, Anna wasn't waiting for her next husband. But Anna took up the calling of becoming a herald for those waiting the redemption of God's people. Church, I want you to know that singleness is an amazing blessing only because you can give yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work. It's a gift. It's an amazing gift. Now, I, I want to I, I, I be clear. Does that mean then that singlehood is the prescribed answer to life in the Bible? Should all of us be single? And to see, <laughs> despite what some of you might be thinking, no, that's not the case. Everyone should not pursue singlehood. This is what Paul says in verses 8 to 9, uh, previous to uh, these verses that we've read in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul, again, as he's giving instructions to the married and the betrothed and to the singles, he says this, verses 8 to 9, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, all things considered equal, Paul says, singlehood is better, but if by remaining single you are going to burn with sexual desire, get married. If I wasn't clear uh, by now, let me make it explicit. Singleness in the Bible means sexual purity. You know, if the church has erred in defining singlehood as the lack of something, the world has deceived us into thinking singlehood means sexual freedom. But both views do not follow God's design for singlehood. So Paul is saying this, as a single, if you're overwhelmed with sexual desire to the point that you cannot remain sexually pure, a good and noble alternative is marriage. I know so far in this message, I've just been advertising singlehood. But there are many, many good things about marriage as well. There's nothing more sanctifying than marriage, having children, you understand 
God the Father's heart? You understand a small ounce of what God went through in giving up His only Son? There are many, many good things about marriage as well. And so if we take a step back and look at these two passages, Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7, this is what it's saying. Matthew 19 is saying this, marriage is tough. It is difficult. It is till death do us part. So being single is a good alternative. 1 Corinthians 7 says this, singlehood is recommended, but it's also difficult because it means sexual purity. And so marriage is a good alternative. You see what's going on here? You see how the Bible is presenting marriagehood and singlehood? It's presenting them both as what? As difficult, hard, noble, and great, glorious things. See, the Bible is presenting whether you're single or married, there are both ups and downs. We cannot view one as being better than the other. And so singles, you have to resist You have to resist the temptation of comparing the downs of singlehood to the ups of marriage that you see in other people. And married folks, likewise, you have to, you cannot compare the downs of marriage with the ups of singleness. According to the Bible, both marriage and singlehood, there are downs and ups. There are good things and bad things. There are difficulties and glorious things. And Scripture is saying, listen, it doesn't matter. Married or single, we can give ourselves to the Lord, we can commit to one another, and we can both serve the Lord in these respective places. You know, I just want to say, you know, for singles, um, you know, I hear a lot among singles, you know, I want, I don't want to get married, but the reason why I'm pursuing marriage is because I'm afraid of loneliness, But before you step into a marriage to avoid loneliness, I just want you to know that loneliness in a godless marriage can be even more severe than loneliness in singlehood. So to sum up, 1 Corinthians 7, singleness is better, but only for the purpose of giving yourself your whole heart and attention to the Lord. Marriage is a good alternative, right? Marriage is is, is good, Right? Because it's harder to give your full self to an unseen God. It's a lot easier to love your spouse and your children and through that see a reflection of who God is. Okay? So that's what 1 Corinthians 7 is teaching. Now the third passage, shortly, Matthew 22, uh, the first passage that we read. And I think it it comes to an end here. Um, In Matthew 22, again, the uh, the Jewish religious leaders, they come to Jesus and they try to test him, trap him. And they construct a hypothetical situation. There's a woman who had seven husbands. They all died. She had one husband, they died. She got remarried and again and again and again until she died. And they asked the question, when she gets to heaven, whose wife is she going to be? And this is how Jesus responds. Matthew twenty two thirty. he says this. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. But they are like angels in heaven. You know what Jesus says? There is no marriage in heaven. In other words, singleness is not a transition. But according to the Bible, singleness is the goal. That's where we're all headed towards. Marriage 
is a software in the old program. In this world, marriage to your spouse is a software in this world, and that is going to end in the new heavens and new earth because in the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be no marriage. Now, please, don't say amen all at once to that. There's going to be no marriage. Your spouse, your relationship with your spouse ends here on earth. Why? For two reasons. First is this. When we get to heaven, we are all going to be family. When we get to heaven, your relationship with the brothers and sisters here in this room, and not just here in this room, but your relationship with the brothers and sisters all throughout the world, throughout history, every single Christian, you're going to be more intimate with them, you're going to be closer to them, you're going to be more committed to them, so much so that marriage here in this world your relationship with your spouse, it's going to look like peanuts. In heaven, we are all going to be family, literal, spiritual, physical family to the point that marriage is going to be unnecessary. It's going to be an outdated software system. We are all going to be singles in the family of God where God is truly our Father And all of us, we are all brothers and sisters. In the new heavens and new earth, for married folks, you're going to be closer to your spouse there, not as husband and wife, but as brother and sister. And that intimacy that you have with your spouse in the new heavens and new earth is going to be shared with every single Christian throughout the world and throughout history. The second reason why there's no marriage in heaven why we are not going to be married to spouses is because in the new heavens and new earth, there's only one marriage. And that's the marriage between Jesus and his church. You know, if I can just sum up um, what Matthew 22 is teaching. um, You know, Matthew 22 is giving us a vision of what relationships are gonna look like in the new heavens and new earth. When Jesus returns, when we get to heaven, this is what our relationships are going to look like. You know, Jesus saying, listen, when we get to heaven, there's going to be no more marriage because, and the point is this, because in Christ, everything is going to be made new again. So all of our broken relationships here on earth, all of our sexual brokenness here on earth, all of the mistakes that we've made in our relationships here on earth, all of the regrets that we've had with our spouse or former spouse, all of those things are going to be undone and they are going to be made new again. Yet in Matthew 19, Jesus teaches a very difficult passage on marriage, that we ought not to get divorced except on the cause of sexual immorality. And that is a very difficult, difficult thing to do. The reality is sin causes us to get divorced, whether it's because of sexual immorality or because of some other reason. Not only that, but not only divorce, but in marriage too, there's just so much brokenness. And even as singles, the sexual brokenness that we endure and experience. But Jesus is saying, listen, when we get to heaven, we're not going to bring all of those things with us. 
all of those things are going to be made new again. You are going to be made new again. You are going to be a virgin again, made pure and spotless for Christ, your groom. And so if that is the trajectory, if that is where we're headed, if that is the vision, how is it that we ought to be conducting ourselves here on earth? How is it that we should be viewing each other, this community? How is it that we should be viewing one another as brothers and sisters? Friends, if you are so insular in your family, if you think the family is the be-all, end-all, then we don't, we've lost sight of this vision. And if as singles, you think, you know what, my life is just about me, my sexual freedom, what I want to do, we've lost sight of this vision. Whether you're single or married, the goal is this, that we grow closer and more intimate with one another to the point that we can call each other's truly brothers and sisters where God is our Father. That is where we are headed. Where you know what? We think, you know, I have no relation to this person, but he treats me like a sister. She treats me like a brother. That's the goal. That's what Christ and his redemption has done. He's making all things new. Church, let us persevere and push forward towards that. Would you join me in prayer at this time?